1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are, which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things, he has chosen the things that are not so that they may mollify. He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In this passage, we have a commentary on the Corinthian culture. And as we've seen previously, it was a culture that affirmed the philosopher, the one whose rhetoric was powerful and persuasive. And such people became celebrities in the city, and each had their own fan club and the fans would fight with one another. And Paul is identifying here that the adulation of people is unimportant in terms of the gospel. And so we too should not get caught up in it when it comes to people in the church. He's already mentioned himself and Apollos and Peter and how people were, were building factions around those within the Corinthian church. And he'll return to a discussion of these in chapter 3. But for the moment, however, he's making a general point about human adulation and factional, factionalism. We live in a culture that honours celebrities. People on X Factor or Britain's Got Talent or The Voice, they just seem to want to be famous. Our television schedules are full of reality TV shows where people in the general public get their five minutes of fame. Sometimes, Carolyn and I watch celebrity quiz shows and don't recognise half the people on there. It usually turns out that they've appeared in TOWIE or Made in Chelsea or Love Island or something similar. And since we never watch any of these programmes, we're completely into the, in the dark as to the identity of, of these so-called celebrities. Even in the church, celebrity culture can thrive. Someone who writes a great worship song or who becomes a famous preacher takes on a celebrity status all of their own. We put them on a pedestal, or if we happen to get near them, we can even enter into hero worship. And I'm not being condemnatory here, we all do it. I know I've been exactly the same in the past with people whom I've admired from afar, but it, it manifests itself in nervousness when you're in the presence of such a person. Almost a feeling of being star starstruck. I believe it's right to honour people in the kingdom of God. But we remember that no matter who they are, they're just the same as us. It's not the person that we honour, but the gift that God has given them or the responsibility that they carry. And this is Paul's point in this whole passage. He begins by reminding the Corinthians that most of them were not philosophers. They were not famous warriors. They were not rulers of any kind. Most of them were, to use the Greek word, plebeians or plebs to us. And this word meant from the lower social classes. And that's exactly what most of the Corinthians were. Is it any different for us? The reality is that as the human race, we're all equal. Some may think they're more equal than others or even superior to others. But we're all equal. Because we are all equally made in the image of God. And that's the basis of our status, no matter who we are. We may have different gifts and abilities, but those don't make us better than anybody else. 
Jesus taught us in Mark 9.35 that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, we should become the servant of all. And the way to the top is the way to the bottom. Jesus then modelled this himself at the Last Supper in John 13 as he washed the feet of the disciples. And then he modelled it again at the cross as illustrated in two in Philippians 2, 5 to 11, Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of a man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The key to this passage is in the first line. Jesus didn't hang on to his status of being equal with God. He didn't affirm his rights. He didn't say, I'm not going, you go. He submitted himself to the Father's will. He humbled himself and became a servant. Jesus' great step down resulted in our great step up. We've not risen to status except the status we we could have had from the beginning, that of being children of God. Our status is not in anything we can do, have done or will do. It's not in anything we have or anything we own. It's not in any ability or gift that that may be ours. It's simply in the fact that we are in Christ Jesus through the grace of God that's been poured out to us through the cross. And Paul identifies a number of categories into which he suggests we all fall when we are in Christ Jesus. Sorry, before we're in Christ Jesus. We are foolish, we are weak, we are insignificant, we're despised and even non-existent. And he says these things shame the wise and strong and nullify the pretensions of those who look down on all of these categories. And he sums it up in verse 29 by saying, so that no one can boast before God. This is again about the status that matters. There is one appointment that we all need to keep. 2 Corinthians 5.10, as we will come to later on in this series, tells us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, it won't matter what we've achieved in terms of this world's glory. Our medals, our cups, our certificates, they'll be of no consequence when we stand before our Creator. We can't take our wealth or our possessions with us beyond the grave, so they'll count for nothing. All that will matter on that day is our status from God's perspective. The status of being in Christ Jesus. Nobody will be able to boast before the throne. Nobody will be able to hold up a list of accolades. Nobody will be able to affirm their right to enter the fullness of the kingdom by anything other than their faith in the grace of God, poured out through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. While we live on this earth, the gathering of stuff is meaningless. It might bring some comfort or some fun into our lives, but it has no eternal value. The accumulation of wealth is meaningless. It might bring us a sense of well-being, but unless we also use it to help others, it's of no eternal consequence. The exertion of power is meaningless unless we use it for the benefit of our towns, our cities, our colleagues, our friends or our brothers and sisters. Even our reputation is meaningless 
unless we use it to influence for good. That's all we do on this earth as we seek to live as children of the King and to model ourselves on Jesus, bring shame to the wise, the powerful and all those who live only for themselves. They may not feel this shame right now, but one day they will as they stand before the throne of Jesus Christ. And on that day, nobody can boast except in Jesus Christ. And so Paul goes on to explain what it means to be in Christ Jesus. In this, he gives us four categories that Jesus became for us. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. Let's consider each of those for a moment. Firstly, wisdom. The word wisdom has great significance throughout the scriptures. In Proverbs 1 to 9, it's wisdom that's lauded as being that which we should all seek. In fact, in Proverbs 8, 22 to 31, it was through wisdom that God created the world and all that was in it. Gradually, in Hebrew thinking, wisdom became associated with this Greek idea of the logos, and particularly in the writings of people such as Philo. Thus, when John picked up on this notion of the Logos in John 1, he was drawing on that notion of wisdom and applying it to Jesus. Jesus is the wisdom of God expressed. By him were the heavens and earth created. Through him, life and light come into all creation. In him, the grace and truth of God have been articulated. Finally, through the cross of Jesus Christ, has the wisdom of God been made known to all humanity. That wisdom, which, as we saw last week, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but is salvation to us who believe. Secondly, Jesus is our righteousness. He lived a perfect life on earth, just as Adam should have done. In doing so, he undid the sin of Adam. He lived as the obedient son of God. And as Paul says in Romans 5.17, For if by the transgression of one death reigned through, through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. All that was lost at the fall has been, is being, and will be restored to us. And all this comes about through our Grace, great Lord Jesus Christ. He became sin with our sin, that we might become righteous with his righteousness. And this doesn't come about by anything we can do to earn it. It's not something we deserve. It's totally a gift of his grace. All our past is undone at the cross. We are ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. We are made right with God. We are put in right standing with God. We are justified by our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Next, he's become for us sanctification. And that can be translated as made holy. And there are two aspects uh, to this idea of holiness. One suggests a cleansing, but the other suggests setting aside for purpose. And both are true of our standing before God in Christ Jesus. Firstly, we were made clean. As we've just suggested, all that defiled us and made us unacceptable to God has been dealt with. All that stood in the way of our relationship with him has been set aside. All that kept us in a place of guilt and shame has been nailed to the cross. And we are now clean vessels to be used for his glory. And that brings us to the second aspect here. In being made holy in Christ Jesus, we are given purpose. And our purpose is no longer to serve ourselves, but to serve the king. 
It's no longer to pursue our own goals, but to work for the kingdom. Nobody is exempt here. We all have a role to play. We all have a destiny in God. We all have tasks that only we can perform. We all have people that only we can influence. We are all witnesses to the grace, mercy, forgiveness and salvation of our loving Heavenly Father. We are no longer everyday cups and saucers in the world, but we are God's best china. We are set aside for his special occasion to bring his salvation to the world in all its forms and to partner with him in the restoration of his creation. We are here to be the reconciled and reconciling community of the King of Kings. And then we have redemption. Redemption has a specific meaning in scripture. It refers first and foremost to the Exodus, the freeing of Israel from the bondage of slavery. And our redemption, however, was brought about not by the sacrifice of a Passover lamb, but by the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 7-12, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see offspring, and he will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many, and interceded for the transgressors. That's a wonderful passage that just illuminates all that Jesus did in coming as a servant, in laying down his life and rescuing his people, us, by his sacrificial death. He is our Redeemer. He's brought us back out of slavery to sin. He's brought us back from bondage. He's brought us out of the slave market. He has set us free. And he's done this with his own blood. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. This week we have an opportunity to to think about those events and to to, to ponder upon the wonderful thing that Jesus came. And even today as we celebrate his coming with the palm, uh, palm leaves waving as he rode into Jerusalem. So we can celebrate all of this week, all that he's done for us and all that he's released for, for us. And the fact that we are in Christ Jesus, we've been brought in to him and we've been given so much in terms of privilege and, 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 and plenty and abundance and blessing. And let's celebrate it this week as we think about all he did in coming and laying himself down for us. So as we move into Easter week. Let our thoughts often dwell on Jesus, our wonderful Saviour. Let's give praise to, to God for all the things we enjoy through the obedience of the Son of God. 
that renders us in Christ Jesus and all that that means. God bless. Let's just pause for a moment and then we'll take communion. Because it's, it's that wonderful action that has brought us into the body of Christ, that has brought us to become the people that he's called us to be. Thank you, Father, for your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for being willing to be a servant. Thank you for laying your life down for us. Thank you that you are uh, all that we need. We give you thanks and praise this morning. Amen.